The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. I'm June Grosso with Michael Best. The three former currency traders call themselves the cartel and the mafia in chatroom messages. And fitting those names, they've now been charged with a conspiracy to rig currency rates. U.S. prosecutors have charged three London traders with being at the heart of a criminal investigation that has ensnared the world's biggest banks over the manipulation of currency rates. It's alleged the three men used an online chatroom to coordinate trading of U.S. dollars and euros to fix the prices of those currencies. Some of the biggest banks in the world have paid a total of $10 billion in fines as part of the scandal. Our guests today are Peter Henning, professor at Wayne State University Law School, and John Coffey, professor at Columbia University Law School. Peter, start us off by explaining what these traders allegedly did in the chat rooms. Well, it's fairly simple in that they had this spot where each could tell the others, um, at least according to the government, where they wanted the price of the uh, dollar and the euro set. So how that number is figured out each day and then used for various transactions is there is a fix. There is a particular point in time when you get a quick snapshot of the market and that says, This is the value of the euro versus the dollar and with other currencies. And so they were trading messages back and forth to, if you will, fix the fix and try to have it help out their positions because they're at competing banks. So theoretically, the price really should be set by the market. This is a conspiracy to violate the antitrust laws because they're trying to fix the price. Well, John, one of the things that's interesting about this case, uh, there's a lot that's interesting, but one thing is that while they're being charged under U.S. law, British authorities had cleared them for this. So how is that possible? Well, of course, you can offend the laws of two different countries. If you shoot a bullet uh, across a state line from one state into the next state, both states have jurisdiction for what happens because you did something, either the uh, intent or the effect was in each jurisdiction. Uh, Now, it is true that the U.S. historically has enforced its law more aggressively than has Great Britain. Uh, And it may be that the U.S. has been able to accumulate better evidence. I also would point out that this is the last nine days of the Obama administration. And I think they're trying to get all the cases that were in their pipeline into formalized proceedings, both partly to get credit and partly to uh, embarrass a future administration if it dropped these cases. But I think this was the last chance they had, and they took that chance. Because you notice they haven't indicated that any of these people are in custody. More normally, you would not indict people until you had arrested them, so there was no chance that they would go into hiding. Uh, So this is a case that's 
obviously is being rushed by the end of the Obama administration. Peter, there have been years of criticism against the Justice Department for getting multi-billion dollar corporate penalties without holding individuals to account. In this, ta- in this case, the Justice Department is touting this as showing it is holding individuals accountable. Do you think this is a good example of that? Well, a very good question. And you'll notice that um, the person who made the statement on behalf of the Department of Justice was Sally Yates. And that Justice Department policy is called the Yates Memo. And it says that we're going to go after uh, individuals and anyone who wants credit for cooperating any company. They have to give us individuals. I guess from a PR point of view, yes, this is an implementation of that policy. But of course, this investigation goes back to 2013, when the media, especially Bloomberg, pointed out the fixing in the foreign exchange market. So in a sense, this all predates that change in policy. And certainly the the chat room, the cartel, the mafia chat room, and all that, the Justice Department has had that information for years. So I I don't know whether it is so much an impact of the change in policy or just announcing, uh, hey, look at us, that we did what we said we were going to do, when in fact, I suspect they may well have done it all along, regardless of the change in policy. Well, John, you were talking earlier about the um, the fact that you know the, they're not in custody. It's not just that they're not in custody; they're in another country, over in the UK. So, is it possible that uh, you know how are they going to proceed? With, how's the Justice Department going to proceed with this case? Well, historically, the U.S. has had fairly good cooperation from Great Britain in extraditing people for violations of U.S. law. In contrast, we've never gotten people out of France or Germany. So these are people who are subject to extradition, but that will be something that might be contested. Uh, Let me add one further point to what was just being said by Peter. Uh, This case, which does seem to exemplify the Yates Memorandum being implemented, fits hand in glove with what also is going on in Volkswagen today. In Volkswagen, we had Mr. Strange arrested in Miami at the beginning of the week, and today the Volkswagen Supervisory Board is agreeing to plead guilty to serious felony counts, which will have real collateral consequences in other proceedings. So I do think there is a new tougher tone, at least at the end of the Obama administration, in some real contrast to where they were in 2008 when some banks looked like they were too big to jail. Peter, will the decision by the U.K.'s serious fraud office to drop its criminal investigation into alleged forex rigging, which also scrutinized the actions of the chat room, will that complicate matters of extradition? Because the lawyers are already saying, hey, our clients weren't charged. Right. It doesn't uh, directly impact because, as Jack said, you know, each sovereign, each country can enforce its own laws. But it may well set uh, a tenor for the case. And, you know, judges may claim that they're not influenced by outside pressures. But in fact, it could have an impact. There was a case going back a decade uh, coming out of the Enron prosecution, the so-called NatWest 3, three 
British bankers who helped Enron in its uh, various financial transactions. And it, it generated a lot of controversy in the United Kingdom. Now, they were eventually extradited to the United States. And it may well be that this uh, will be one part of a public relations campaign if these defendants decide to fight extradition. Now, the downside to doing that is if you are extradited, then the government typically points to that and says, you should be held in jail because you might flee and run away to a third country where we can't get you. So that's going to be one of the calculations that goes into this. Do you want to fight when the U.S. and Great Britain have traditionally uh, exchanged defendants through extradition? Well, John, one other thing, I mean, you talk about sort of the PR implications and ways that it will it will look when it gets to court. You have people calling themselves a cartel and mafia and those sorts of names. It doesn't really appear from this, does it, that they seem to think what they were doing was completely above board. I think that's correct. Actually, the methodology here is not very different than the LIBOR conspiracy. In one, you were trying to conspire to manipulate the London interbank lending rate, and here you're trying to uh, manipulate a different kind of benchmark rate that's just used on a daily basis for the spot market for currency. Uh, But in both markets, there was an inside group of repeat players who regularly communicated and tried to push the rates in the direction they deemed favorable. And I think it suggests that all these private markets need to be monitored very closely because sooner or later, insiders will find a way to advantage themselves. We're talking about three former currency traders who have been charged by U.S. prosecutors. They call themselves the cartel and mafia in chat room messages, and they've been charged with being at the heart of a criminal investigation that has ensnared the world's biggest banks over the manipulation of currency rates. We've been talking with John Coffey, professor at Columbia University Law School, and Peter Henning, professor at Wayne State University Law School. Jack, three... Currency traders have been, who are in this so-called cartel, have been charged, and a fourth one is cooperating with the government. Does that lead you to think that there might be some others who might be flipped along the way? Oh, I think that's very likely because collusion is a group activity. One or two people can't uh, collude to rig and manipulate a huge multi-trillion dollar daily market. So others were involved, but these may have been the principal players. Incidentally, the person who's cooperating may be availing himself of the antitrust division's leniency program. The antitrust division realizes that price fixing is very hard to detect, so they will give the first person who comes forward complete immunity if he comes forward prior to the point at which the Justice Department has basically detected the conspiracy. Peter, we were talking earlier about the fact that, you know, the Obama administration wanted to get these indictments done before it went out of office. This is, uh, you know, the deputy attorney general had wanted to prosecute individuals for this sort of behavior. Is it likely that the Trump administration, when it takes over the Justice Department, is going to aggressively pursue extradition and also pursue these kinds of cases as aggressively as the Obama administration has wanted to show that it does? I would certainly think on this particular case with the extradition, I would expect that the 
Justice Department, the new incoming leadership, will continue the case. And in fact, again, most of the attorneys in the Department of Justice are career uh, people. And so uh, I would expect that it will be pursued uh, on the broader question of will the Justice Department be as aggressive. Of course, one of the criticisms of the Obama Justice Department was that it wasn't aggressive enough, uh, at least in pursuing individuals. Now we're starting to see more individuals named. I don't see the Justice Department announcing um, a turnaround saying, no, we're not going to go after individuals. No, we're not going to investigate companies. Um, I don't think any prosecutor wants to announce what they're not going to do. It's really going to be a question of what are the priorities and where are the resources going to be allocated? Um, Will they continue to put in uh, the same number of prosecutors to pursue these cases? These are not easy cases. Um, It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money to do something as complex as this. So it's really going to be a matter of what are they going to do rather than what they say. Jack, Jeff Sessions is in the midst of having his judiciary hearings to be the next attorney general. What do we know about his position on on uh, these kinds of issues? Is he is he likely to prosecute them? Are they high on his list of of uh, things to get to? Well, this much I can say without predicting everything. Mr. Sessions is a very law and order former U.S. attorney. If the case has been brought, I think he will pursue it, and thus I think he will seek extradition. As a U.S. senator, he opposed some pro-business groups that were seeking legislation in the Senate, which would uh, restrict the ability of U.S. attorneys uh, to demand a waiver of the attorney-client privilege in return for something called a deferred prosecution agreement. In that regard, he was being tough as nails and saying, I want corporations as well as individuals strictly prosecuted. Now, with regard to overall priorities, the one thing I have to tell you is the Department of Justice is an extremely decentralized organization with a great deal of discretion in each individual U.S. attorney. Here in New York, Preet Bharara is going to remain as U.S. attorney, and I think he'll have the same priorities in the next administration as he had in the last. They took a, a known person, he'll keep it up. Other U.S. attorneys probably will have somewhat different priorities. Peter, do you agree with that? You think uh, you think that the decentralized nature of the Justice Department, the career nature of the prosecutors, and um, and the the attorney general, the incoming attorney generals. Um, law and order stance are going to militate for even more of this kind of stuff? Well, certainly, you know, the, the vast majority of the Department of Justice's cases, um, whether in the U.S. Attorney's Office or through what's called Maine Justice in Washington, are really quite mundane. They are just day to day criminal offenses that have no political overtones. And so that's not going to be changed. I guess where change could come in is on the uh, higher priority cases. What does the Justice Department say that we want to put our effort and our energy into? But certainly, uh, Jeff Sessions was a United States attorney, and uh, they, they prized their independence. And uh, I would expect that he will continue to be very aggressive. He is a supporter of, for example, mandatory minimums. And I, I don't see him 
backing away or having the Department of Justice back away from aggressive prosecutorial policy. So I, I think we're going to see at least quite a bit of more of the same. I want to thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. It's a pleasure to have you both on individually and especially together. That's Peter Henning, professor at Wayne State University Law School, and John Coffey, professor at Columbia University Law School. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.